Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Today I'm going to be speaking on 2 Kings 4 and it is a wonderful passage. I actually swapped with Rob um, and uh, he was like, oh yeah, you know, 2 Kings. And I was like, oh, it's a great passage. Like, you know, it's not easy, but it's great. It's full of riches and kindnesses. It's two stories where two women are engaged with, in, with passion, compassion and richly blessed by God. It's not an easy passage, but there is, there is richness there. In this passage, there are two women. And when we meet these two women in the passage, they are rich and poor in different ways, and their needs are quite different. And yet we see Elisha meet these women, and God have compassion on them through him. He shows that God is the Redeemer, and the one who is not quiet in the face of our prayers of pain. So I'm going to read it to us now. It's, um, it's relatively long, but hopefully I can make it animate to you. So 2 Kings 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming. Can you turn the microphone down a bit, please? But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour out Um, oil into all the jars and as each is filled put it to one side so she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring when all the jars were full she said to her son bring me one more but he replied there is not a jar left and then the oil stopped flowing she went and told the man of God and he said go Sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. And then the second story. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's, Let's make him a small room on our roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to her, said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, "Mm, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and stood in the doorway and and said, about this time next year, 
Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected, please. Man of God, don't mislead yourself, servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His, servant told, his father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly in return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God on Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to the servant Gehazi, look, there's a Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then got, up, got on the bed and laid it on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes and hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got onto the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground, then took her son and went out. Great. Well, our first passage, our first woman in our passage is a widow. And she is a widow in a massive debt. One of the charities that I love is Christians Against Poverty and their vision as a charity, um, if we go on to the next slide maybe, great. Their vision as a, as a charity is together we will strive to see transformed lives, thriving churches and an end to UK poverty. When we think of money, it can bring up so many different feelings for each of us, can't it? So for some of us, it's not really something we think about a lot. And for others, it's all we think about, either the having it or the not having it. Christians Against Poverty work with hundreds of people every day who are struggling with debt. I actually remember um, chatting when I was training. I remember hearing a story about someone calling. Um, they had the bailiffs at the door. 
They were knocking on the door. They had locked their door so the bailiffs couldn't get in. And the person passed the phone through the window to the bailiffs so that Kat could talk to them and work things out with the bailiffs. You see, debt is no joke. Those bailiffs come through the door, they're taking your stuff. And with debt comes shame, guilt, anxiety, depression, fear, and much more. And as the cost of living goes up, we are all feeling that strain, aren't we, on our bank accounts in different ways. I've actually had three or more conversations in the last two weeks with people about the worry that the food shops cost so much now. Money and the worry that comes with it is something that often shouts and taunts. And for this widow, it is shouting. She's lost her husband and been left without any way to bring in finances with two sons and debt. The situation is dire. And as for this, for this woman, and unlike nowadays, they're gonna, these bailiffs are going to come into your home and they're going to take your material goods. The payment comes through them, sorry, but for this woman, the payment comes through them taking her children, taking her children and making them slaves, and through their labour, paying off the debt. You see, debts unpaid were payable through work, slavery until the debt was paid through manual labour and this woman's only way to pay off her debt is with her sons. And as we listen into this story, at first it looks bad and then it looks worse and then we see the desperation. And this woman has come to Elisha in her desperation and worry and here she is asking, please, Help me, all I have is threatened. And what do we see in this story? Well, God hears, doesn't he? Elisha sees. Compassion is displayed and blessings flow in abundance. One of the things about debt is that it's a trap. Sadly, often the more debt we get into, the more debt we get into. And you try, we can try and control it. We might move it from one account to another, pay off from one account and then da But the reality is, unless we get new money or, um, and to pay what we owe, we are still in debt. That, that account is still going to be in red, whichever account it is. We need someone to step in or we need some money to come from the outside in, out out of side of ourselves to redeem not just our accounts, but ourselves. And this is where the idea of a kinsman redeemer comes from. It's a term that's often linked to Ruth and Boaz's story. You've probably heard that Boaz is Ruth's and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. It's actually a term of responsibility and action that we find in Leviticus 25. It says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to a foreigner or to a member of of the foreigner's clan, they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them. This woman needs someone to redeem her. But we can gather that she has either not got one, no one is able, or no one is willing. And this is where Elisha steps in. 
Although the responsibility and the burden is not his, he steps into that space and by God's grace and power blesses this woman. Elisha asked them to gather jars from everyone, not just a few. Go to all the neighbours and don't just get a few. Then he tells her to go inside the house, close the door and every jar gets filled up with oil. Oil has always been worth a lot. I mean, we're experiencing it at the moment. The line of Asda was crazy yesterday. This oil is a little different though. It's, it's probably olive oil but or different kind of oil, but it's equally valuable. And from having nothing, in fact, not just nothing, she has literally nothing. This woman's house is full of jars of oil. In her moment of distress and need, God sees this woman. In her moment of need and disgrace, God has compassion through Elisha. She is not only redeemed through her debts being paid off, there is abundance and they can live off the abundance and her sons can stay with her. She does not have to lose anything else. She's already lost her husband. Through Elisha, God redeemed this woman and her son's lives, bringing them from desperation into abundance. But also he has restored her dignity her freedom, and he's enabled this woman to live life again. This is our God. So the second woman. Well, this woman, money is not an issue. She can be generous, and underneath, but underneath there is pain and longing. And God, again, he sees it and blesses abundantly. At the start of the woman, we see, we get told she's a well-to-do woman. She's got a nice home that she can open up quite easily to Elisha. She's able to set up a room just for Elisha, fill it with furniture. She says something to her husband, do you think we should do this? And he listens because he's a good man, but, you know, he listens. And when he asks, if Elisha asks if he should talk to the commander of the army or the king for her, she's like, no, nah, it's all right, I'm good. I, like, I don't need anything. One commentary says, if the king or the captain of the host were to be appealed to, it must be for some cause of hardship or oppression. The Shunammite woman shows she has no necessity of this kind. For all those among her lives are her friends and relatives. There is no foe to ask for, for, for protection against, and the kindred are enough to secure her against her enemies. She's good. She's got a good life. Money is not a worry. She's a brilliant woman who's able to set up a room, sort out all of the things for Elisha to stay without so much of a thought. She has no worries about money. She's able to be easily generous. But there is something that troubles her heart. As we listen in, what do we see? She has no children. But not only does she have no, not any, sorry, but not only does she not have any children. What I hear is that this is a place of pain for her. We're all aware of the expectation on women to bear children in that time, and she's not been able to. There's shame. But also there's pain. Do you hear in the way that she answers and questions? Maybe there's been hopes dashed before. So when Elisha prophesies over her, the line says she objects. She does not receive that prophetic word with joy. 
There is something within her that pushes the, that potential away. It's too painful. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Every person here and around the world, but here specifically, has stories to tell, stories of hopes, dreams and sadnesses. This woman is no different. Even with her seeming wealth, status and freedom, there is longing within her. But there is also pain. There's pain in the waiting. Prayers said in her heart's dreams seemingly left unfulfilled. I remember when I was working in Cardiff um, in my early 20s, I'd been to 30 weddings over three years. Now, I love a good wedding. Don't get me wrong. But gosh, I really felt it. You see, I, I deeply longed for a companion to do life with. I've always, I'd always longed for that. I knew God was good and, and everything I needed. Um, and yet in the same moment, like my heart longed for that person to do life with. And it hurt. It really hurt that longing within me. And I remember saying to God, like, this is it. I'm done. Like, I don't want to have this longing within me anymore. I have a good life. Like, I don't need anyone. I need no man. Like, I'm good. <laughs> and I'm, I, you know, I don't need anyone to make me feel whole or full. But God, it's still there. It's in my heart and it hurts. It hurts so much. And I said to God, I had this conversation. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. Take it away. Take it away. Like, you have to take this longing away. You have to fill it up. You have to do whatever it is that means that I no longer feel this because I'm done yearning like this. It just hurts. And I was speaking to a friend a couple of weeks later and in conversation, she, she shared how she was longing for another child. Um, they had two, but they've been trying for a while. And the she was like, I want to be content in what I have, but the longing is there. We both talked and lamented these things within us, these longings. Knowing truth and yet being honest about our heart's desires with each other. And we decided to actively pray for each other. Pray that God would fill us up and, first, and help us first to look to him, to be satisfied in him but also to pray for each other, to ask those bold asks. For me, a husband, a companion, and for her, a baby. We both felt these desires in our hearts and we had so much to celebrate in our lives and yet there were these hopes, dreams and longings we were bringing to God in the secret place. And I want to say to us all today, if there are things that you are yearning for, if there are things that you are dreaming of, hoping for bring them to God you know like it might be bold it might be big you might be like this is too bright this is too wonderful God how can I ask you for this it's too much you know what he's he's a good father and he wants to hear those prayers of your heart and it doesn't mean that he will say yes but it also doesn't mean he'll say no but what it does mean is that all those parts of you which he calls you to surrender to him, you can bring. And as with the Shunammite woman, 
as with the widow, like he's listening. Whether your prayers are shouting or whispering, he's listening. And he will answer in his way. Well, with our second woman, God hears, doesn't he? He has compassion on her. As Elisha prophesies, a year later, she has a baby in her arms. Those heart prayers have been heard, not in her timing, but in his. He doesn't work in the way that we expect, but, in his, but, in, but he is at work and he is blessing. The story continues. The child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His, servant, his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat at her lap until noon, and then he died. This hoped-for, precious boy climbed into his mother's arms and dies, and you can, you can only imagine the anguish and the pain she experiences, what depths of pain she feels. How could this happen? Did I ask you for a son, my lord? Like, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? In this moment of desperate sadness, this woman acts in faith. She lays this son on Elisha's bed. She summons a donkey, rides to him and, him, and in desperation goes to the man of God to ask for help. At first, Elisha sends his servant with a staff, but the boy does not wake, so Elisha goes himself. Elisha goes to the home where this generous woman has made him a place to lie his head and looks upon the boy that he saw was the answer to her secret prayers. And in this moment, there seems to be no hope because that boy is lying there lifeless. But once again, Elisha steps into the gap and God moves. Following in Elijah's footsteps, Elisha lies out on the boy, as the text says, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Elisha does not do what he has, uh, sorry, Elisha does what he has seen Elijah do, but although the boy seems to warm, he doesn't at first come back to life. So you can imagine, Elisha gets up, he's walking around the room, back and forth, and he's like, right, I'm going to just try again. I'm going to try again. So he lies on him again. And only then does the boy sneeze seven times. I love that little, like, bit. And open his eyes. He opens his eyes. The boy wakes up and has returned to his mother alive. But the thing that really grabs me, isn't it interesting, that line? Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? God, in his abundant kindness, has answered the woman's prayers And in her time of distress, she calls out to him, how could you answer my prayer and then take it away? It's funny that we sung that song earlier, like you give and take away. In her secret pain and in her public pain, God hears her and answers. God is not cruel. He is not silent. He is not distant. Through Elisha, both time, we see this woman's prayers answered, whether they are whispered or they are shouted. God is not unmoved by her pain, and he is not unmoved by ours. These two women have two very different struggles. One is money, it's acute. She has no husband, no money, debt. Her sons are about to be taken away. 
And then there's a second, everything she could need. And yet underneath a heart filled with seemingly unanswered prayers. And Elisha, this man of God, sees these women and steps into the gap and helps them. And in doing so, these, both these women's dignity is restored. God is listening in to these women. And through Elisha, our living God blesses. As I read this chapter of Two Kings, I was aware of Elijah who had come before Elisha and how there are similarities between the miracles they do. And yet also the whole time, I just kept thinking, Jesus, he's so much better. Throughout Jesus' life on earth, we see him dealing with death and sickness, lack of wine, lack of food, death of a child, and so much more with complete authority. He listens in. And also, more than anyone else we will ever come across, Jesus listens in and speaks to us in our shouts and our whispers. He hears what people are really asking. He hears, he asks questions that unearth true motives and leaves people unable to hide behind pretenses. And time and time again, he restores dignity to those who seemingly have none. He turns awful situations into wonderful ones. I want to highlight the way that Jesus cares for women in the Bible. I think this is really important. In a society that did not, like it didn't, in a social system that put them at the bottom and treated them as a commodity, gosh, the women that were his followers, they had dignity. They had freedom and life. This is a God, this is the God we also see here on display throughout the story of Elisha. These two women have their dignity restored. The beautiful thing is that this is always the way that God does things. Taking the lowly, taking the hurting, hurting, taking those who feel unseen, those who have hearts that have silent prayers, those who are at the lowest in society and giving them life. God listens in. And as Jesus wakes up a girl from her sleep, her sleep, wakes his friend Lazarus from his tomb, opens blind eyes to see and frees people from her, their chains. He also steps towards us in our acute need, that shout and our prayer, our secret heart prayers that are whispered. The late night, help me God, or the dreams of our heart. He listens in and as we bring them to him, like the second lady's prayer, our journeys are not straightforward. But I often can't help but think of the moment on the cross where Jesus, where Jesus was hanging, bloody, broken, cut and wounded. His breath wrecking as he struggled and breathed his last. You see, in that seemingly weak mess, glory was revealed. And God's seemingly weakest moment was his ultimate victory. He stepped in as our kinsman redeemer. The burden was not his to take, but he took the debt on himself. 
paying off the debt of our sin so that we could be free and giving us abundance. His bank account of relationship with the Father and life in all its fullness given to you and to me. Jesus heard not only the cries of our hearts, but the cries of creation, the moans to be redeemed, to be reunited to God. The cross was the world's ultimate act of defeat, but God's act of victory. Jesus fulfilled it and rose again. And do you know what? If he can make that good, surely he can take us and make something good. Elisha was good. Elijah, great. But Jesus, he's the true one. He gives us dignity. He hears our hearts and he understands our dreams, our hopes, our fears. He is the one who redeems and everything so that we can come near. And even though... And this isn't even though, even though we may face financial hardship, death of loved ones, sickness, discrimination, and more, our God is ultimately our God who leans in, who listens in and is not powerless to help us. He is the one who has ultimate compassion. The living God blesses. Um, and as I come to land, I'd love the band to come up and join me. In our story today, we find two women with real struggles and heartache. And we see how God in the midst of that brings hope, dignity, redemption and life. We will all go through different trials in this life. And there will be things pulling at each of our hearts today situations we find ourselves in. I want to be like encouraging of honesty to ourselves. Like maybe you're here and you're struggling with debt. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with addiction. Maybe you're longing to see something happen in your life. Maybe you need breakthrough. Maybe you're in the dark night of your soul. God is not far away. He's not far away. He wasn't far away to those women. And in Jesus, he's come even closer. He's not far away today. He has stepped into the gaps through Jesus. And he says, come, bring your burdens, bring your hope, bring your heart and your mind to me. He has redemption and life for you. So come. And I also want to encourage you, Find a person to share with, share those heart prayers, share those things that are shouting or those late night whispers of prayers to God and pray with them like I did with my friend. Share that burden with them. What would it look like for you to share what is burdening you with someone and run as those women did to God? with and for each other. Life is real. For those women, it was real. It was death. It was death. And God is with you. He is listening in. And he is not powerless to help. 
He is powerful and he longs to bless you. What would it look like for you to surrender, to run to him today and to let him speak?